The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Little Friday with a lot yet to happen today as we do expect a vote on Israel funding, standalone funding in the House of Representatives a bit later on today should happen, what, three, four hours from now, based on what we're hearing. And the new Speaker of the House held his first news conference as Speaker today, says it's time to get this done. Here's Speaker Mike Johnson. Israel doesn't need a ceasefire. It needs its allies to cease with the politics and deliver support now. And that's what we're doing. House Republicans plan to do that. We're going to do it in short order, and it provides Israel the aid it needs to defend itself, free its hostages, and eradicate Hamas, which is a mission that must be accomplished. But, of course, it's a far cry from what Joe Biden asked for, that $106 billion supplemental that also includes money for Ukraine. You don't need me to go through this whole thing now. If you watch this program, you could probably tell me at this point. And we also have this scoring problem. Remember, the CBO yesterday said that this attempt to use IRS money as an offset would actually increase the deficit significantly. And so Chuck Schumer takes to the Senate floor today to say we won't even take up this bill. It's already dead on arrival remembering the president already threatened to veto it. The Senate will not be considering this deeply flawed proposal from the House GOP. And instead, we will work together on our own bipartisan emergency aid package that includes aid to Israel, Ukraine, competition with the Chinese government, and humanitarian aid for Gaza, so much needed. Let me say that again. The Senate will not take up the House's GOP's deeply flawed proposal then what are we doing here? Let's ask Jonathan Tamari from Bloomberg Government, who toils every day on Capitol Hill and has been all over this writing for it, uh, about it, I should say, for the terminal and for Bloomberg.com. It's good to see you, Jonathan. We're going to do this, I understand, around 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, Whether it passes or not, I guess, doesn't matter because it's going nowhere. Is that right? That that seems to be the indication. But look, it takes both sides of Capitol Hill to come up with something, you know, the The House is going to most likely pass this. The Senate's going to say it's not going anywhere. The Senate will pass their own version that probably ties together Israel aid, Ukraine aid, and a few other uh, priorities. And the House may very well say, well, we're not taking that piece up. Um, So this is the negotiation. This is the, 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 these are the same factors that Kevin McCarthy confronted before he was ousted and then Speaker Johnson replaced him. Um, ultimately, it often ends up being that the House has to swallow what the Senate can pass because the Senate acts in a bipartisan way and the president is, is a Democrat and aligned with the Senate more. Uh, but this is kind of really his first legislative test that we're seeing him take on as the new speaker. True enough. And to your point, Tom Cole, Republican congressman, says don't send that Senate bill over here. Here he is earlier today. What they're proposing on their side is not going to pass over here. And so uh, let's sit down and work together. We have a common objective. We all want to support Israel. Let's do that. 
I'm not sure the common objective matters at this point, Jonathan. How how do we see this ending? Is there a path at some point for a standalone bill or a conference that puts some of these other items, including Ukraine, into one piece of legislation? There will certainly be some path. I, I think on on both of these items, exactly what that looks like is unclear. But look, past sending aid to Israel is probably one of the most popular things that Congress can do right now. One of the things that would have the most you would partisan think. support, uh, whether that's tied in with other thing, other um, priorities or if it's standalone by itself. It's something virtually every member of Congress wants to do. Ukraine is a little more controversial, but there's still support in both parties for supporting Ukraine. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has been a big proponent of it. So I think in the end, given the number of people who want to see this happen, I think they do hmm. both pass at some point, but it, it could be a rocky road to get there. And it is certainly going to test how Johnson negotiates with the Senate, negotiates yes. with Chuck Schumer, and how he manages his own conference where Ukraine aid is less popular than it is among Senate Republicans. Well, as you write on the terminal, Jonathan, a great story. Mike Johnson quickly facing the same forces that slammed McCarthy. We think about how he could be jammed by the Senate. We also think about uh, a government shutdown, potentially. What are we, 16 days away at this point? The new speaker's talking about a ladder CR. Democrats say they don't even know what that is. Is a shutdown more likely yeah. today as this conversation continues? You know, I think a shutdown is maybe a little less likely overall than than we feared back in September when I think most people thought there would be a shutdown and then it ended up being averted. I think Johnson has a little more credibility with his right wing to make a deal with the Senate. Kevin McCarthy, remember, was never trusted by the right wing. So anytime he came back with a compromise, they were outraged. Johnson starts with some trust. So they might give him a little more leeway to make a short-term deal. They know they wasted three weeks just without a speaker, not even being able to advance any kind of spending bills. And I think he wants to avoid a shutdown. He doesn't want a shutdown to be, you know, the first major result that, that he's responsible for as the House Speaker. So I think ultimately they find a way to kick this into next year. Uh, mm -hmm. But there will be some long, tough negotiations and certainly some brinksmanship over the next two weeks. Great reporting, Jonathan. Find him on the terminal, as I mentioned, and Bloomberg.com covering this every day uh, on the Hill. For Bloomberg government, Jonathan Tamari, we thank you. As we turn to the situation in Israel, and we're going to talk about all of this coming up with our panel, Rick and Jeannie. The headline on the terminal, troops encircle Gaza City as death toll climbs. Great questions about what this next phase is going to look like in the coming days. And we want to talk about with Michael Knights of the Washington Institute, the Jill and Jay Bernstein fellow who specializes in the military and security affairs and has spent a career uh, becoming an expert in Iran's proxies around the globe. Michael, it's good to see you and thank you for your time today. As this ground operation, uh, which we'll call it now instead of an invasion, I think continues, you see troops circling Gaza City. What is it exactly that they are preparing for and what's going to happen in the next couple of days? The first thing they're doing is what we call isolating the battlefield. And that means Israelis already control the offshore environment, the coastline. Now they're also driving a corridor south of Gaza City so that Gaza City cannot be reinforced by Hamas forces in the south of the Gaza Strip. They'll let civilians out, uh, but they won't let uh, military reinforcements in for Hamas. 
And then in the other parts of the northern Gaza Strip, where Gaza City is, they're also creating lodgments there that we call tactical assembly areas, which means a cleared area which has been fortified where you can forward base your uh, troops. And uh, then when they make sorties into Gaza City and come back at night, uh, they have a secure base from which to operate. Hezbollah uh, says that it's attacking Israel barracks, Israeli barracks near the Lebanese border. And we keep seeing these headlines about skirmishes to the north. Michael, are you more concerned about Hamas or Hezbollah when you consider the, the idea of escalation? I'm actually more concerned about Houthis in Yemen who are starting to throw ballistic missiles mm. and cruise missiles at Israel and about the prospect of the front uh, on the Israeli-Syrian border called the Golan kicking off. Mm -hmm. uh, also, there's that part of um, occupied West Bank uh, in Israel where many of the Palestinians there, non-Hamas Palestinians, might uh, start to you know, really serious rioting. So in some ways, I'm less concerned about the, you know, the Hezbollah right next door or the Iranians getting involved because both of those groups have got a lot to lose if they were in a knockdown drug out war with Israel. Uh, whereas um, they're very willing to fight to the last Syrian, the last Iraqi, the last Yemeni, uh, or indeed the last Palestinian uh, to weaken Israel and damage the reputation of Israel and the US. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you, the Houthis, as you mentioned, have, have declared war for whatever that is worth or what it means against Israel. And we have seen repeated strikes from uh, Israel and the U.S., in fact, in Syria. What is it that we should be looking for? As you mentioned, the Golan Heights and the skirmishes we're seeing in Syria. What could that turn into? What we're really looking at amongst all of the Iran-backed factions is a way of looking like they're supporting Hamas and not letting Hamas down. But Reality is they're doing what you would call casualty limiting attacks on the United States. In other words, quite carefully calibrated attacks that are not intended to actually kill Americans or draw heavy retaliation. Yeah. They're staying away from places like Embassy Baghdad uh, in Iraq uh, by mutual agreement uh, between Iran and the United States. So, you know, at the present time, it, it looks crazy, but it's actually a bit more controlled than people think. Even Lebanese Hezbollah and it's fighting with the Israelis on the border has quite well-established rules and they've been doing this a long time. So yes, rockets and missiles flying back and forth, uh, but almost all the players seem to be focused on limiting the intensity and the geographic broadening of this conflict whilst not being seen to let down their partners, for instance, Hamas. You've been tracking uh, anti-US strikes in Iraq and Syria. Uh, for the past couple of weeks. It's important research that you're doing as part of the malicious spotlight that I'll point people to at your website, WashingtonInstitute.org. What's the trajectory here? Uh, have you seen an increase or has it been kind of a steady drip so far of attacks in Syria and Iraq? Well, it's been uh, very steady. For the first time since 2021, we've seen uh, you know, a, a surge of uh, Syria uh, of attacks against U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria. Key trend is that most of the action is moving to Syria at the moment because Syria is a sort of failed state environment where we don't recognize the sovereignty of the Syrian government. So 
we can all fight freely there. The Iranian-backed groups can fight freely there. They don't have to worry about the Assad regime. And we can fight freely there because we don't have to worry about getting kicked out of the country as we would in Iraq if we started dropping mm -hmm. bombs there. Uh, so, you know, Syria is really where a lot of it is uh, headed. What's really interesting is that last night, for the first time, we didn't get any new attacks uh, on U.S. forces in Iraq or Syria. And after, you know, over a, a week and a half of attacks every day, multiple attacks, four or five, uh, to get none feels a little bit like when the tide recedes right ahead of a tsunami. It almost feels like someone's taking breath and uh, might be a bit of a rocky weekend ahead. Wow, that's a scary thought, like someone who's taking a breath. So put this together for us, Michael Knights. Do all these attacks, all the proxy groups that we have mentioned, suggest a de facto declaration of war by Iran? Are we missing the ball on this? Well, it's a de facto declaration of proxy war. And what that really means is this. Um, the Iranians have already gained a lot of what they want from this conflict. Um, Saudi... Israel-US normalization might be wrecked for a while. The Arab world's extremely angry at America and Israel. Uh, and a, a heavy blow was landed on, on Israel, the military defeat on October the 7th. Hmm. At the moment, Hamas can probably disappear from the face of the earth and Iran will still chalk this one up as a win. So they don't need to put their own uh, homeland security in Iran or Hezbollah's survival on the line for this one. They just need to keep this new story going uh, using all these lower-level tactics. Do we need to put our security on the line here in the U.S.? I think the movement of the U.S. carrier battle groups and the very heavy buildup uh, in the Middle East has shown the Iranians and Hezbollah that they can't launch a new blow against Israel. And it probably has effectively kept them out of the war. They would have been tempted to come in heavier if they had not seen us come in so heavy. So I think what we've, what we've done has been quite effective from deterring the big war. Um, you know, we can't deter the small war quite as effectively, these kind of low casualty or no casualty strikes on the US that mainly signal defiance. Michael, I'm glad you could join us. Appreciate your sharing your expertise with us. Michael Knights, the Washington Institute, where he works as a fellow bringing expertise here on Iranian proxies and exactly what is happening now on the ground in Gaza. We're going to bring this to the panel next as the House of Representatives prepares to vote on Israel funding in a maneuver that appears to be dead on arrival already in the Senate. The president says he'll veto it. So what is the plan to help? I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Rick and Jeannie are on the way in next on the fastest show in politics. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Big day for the new Speaker of the House. He's had the job for 
well, all of one week, and he's bringing this bill to the floor knowing that it's likely not going anywhere if it passes the House. This is Israel. We're talking about Speaker Johnson holding his first news conference today, and he held forth, flanked by Republican leadership up there in the gallery and let everyone know uh, his plan for today. Then Democrats take their turn. That's the way this works. Everyone clears out. The minority party comes in. Pete Aguilar not having any of it. We're learning a lot about this new speaker this week with these first legislative decisions. And this has been a complete and total disaster. We look forward to working uh, in a bipartisan way uh, to send aid to uh, our allies abroad. Uh, But this bill today uh, is not that vehicle. A complete and total disaster as we assemble our panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Glad to say, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Great to have you both here. Jeannie, I I spent a little bit of time with Nancy Pelosi earlier today. She held a, a briefing for a group of reporters in downtown Washington. And I asked her if it was possible for an election denier to succeed as Speaker of the House. She took a second. And she said, Republicans wanted Donald Trump to be their Speaker, remember? Well, they got him. Is she right? (laughs) Nobody is the original Donald Trump. Many people have tried, but she's right to the effect that they do have a speaker now who took steps to, you know, decertify the election. And and most prominently in trying to support Ken Paxton, the attorney general from Texas, with this very bizarre effort to overturn the results from four other states. I mean, it's one of the most confounding things. Republicans used to be all about states' rights, and there they go trying to overturn the elections from other states. So this is part of who we have as a speaker. Many of us were not familiar with Mike Johnson before this. Pelosi certainly was. And now we are learning a lot more, and he is there. But, you know, she is right to the extent that this is what the Republicans could finally agree on. This is who, rather, they could finally agree on somebody who is conservative and he is an election denier in 2020 and he's also somebody who has taken steps like you know defund the irs and all of these these efforts defund in terms of the irs agents so you know this is who he is and they got what they paid for and he's in the same situation that kevin mccarthy was none of those things have changed so what do you make of this exercise today rick uh Chuck Schumer says Senate won't take up the House bill. Joe Biden says he'll veto it. Is this just a matter of the speaker getting something on the board, getting a win on the board? Then we go on and have a more serious conversation about working uh, in bicameral fashion here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't think this is anything that's unusual at all between the House and the Senate. Um, That's why they have this conference process, you know, where conferees from the House and the Senate hammer out differences in the legislation. Um, You know, the Senate sent a incredibly bipartisan, I think 85 votes uh, for their bill uh, that they passed last night on some of the appropriations material. And, uh, and and that does send the signal to the House that you've got this big bipartisan margin in the Senate. Uh, so you at least know that anything you come up with that's got Senate support is going to pass widely. Um, and uh, uh, Speaker Johnson reassured the Senate yesterday when he met with them that um, he was going to give it an open vote on Ukraine. And and we know that if the House is able to vote on Ukraine, that uh, without just Republican votes, 
then yeah, uh, it's likely to have 300 vote margin in the House. So uh, the reality is, I think we're a lot closer to getting something done. And, you know, and, and you know, like Jeannie's quick to throw Johnson under the bus. That's the new thing for Democrats to do and makes sense politically to do it. But for three weeks, all we heard was just pick anybody, anybody, and it'll be great. And now we got anybody and he's not good enough. Um, <laughs> the reality is that, um, you know, nobody saw this one coming, but he's making progress. And I think you just mm-hmm. kind of ignore the noise. I mean, the, the IRS deal is just noise. Just noise. And so let's talk about maybe what else could be there uh, as an offset. Tom Cole talked about this, Rick. Uh, this is, of course, well, I guess an elder statesman in this House of Representatives. He likes the idea of offsets. I know that this is controversial for emergency spending. And he's suggesting if you don't like this IRS thing, well, maybe there's something else out there. Here's Tom Cole from earlier. We would prefer, obviously, that we have an offset. And we proposed one. Uh, there's a variety of potential products, but it makes sense. We have lots of uh, unspent money. Why not use that and direct it to Israel's support? Lots of unspent money, Jeannie. Uh, he's suggesting there are options here. Should Democrats be having this conversation? What would you like to see? Absolutely. They should have a conversation about responsible offsets. That's absolutely what should be happening. And it has been a long term problem in both sides and both sides of the aisle and in both the House and the Senate. I do have to say to my dear friend Rick Davis, I was not one of the people saying select anyone by any means, nor did I throw Mike Johnson under the bus. Reiterating what somebody has stood for in their professional career is not that. He was an election denier. He still is. And he wants to put as a responsible speaker, he wants to do offsets with the IRS, which everybody agrees is not going to offset anything but add to the deficit. So I I don't think I'm throwing anybody under the bus. Um, far from it. I think he should be very, very clear if he is really intending to be fiscally responsible, then he should do that. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. Democrats should be having that conversation. And no, no, no. I never said just choose anyone and anything would be great. For, far from it. <laughs> All right. This is not going to help everyone get along here because I've got to talk about impeachment. (laughs) Mike Johnson, of course, was asked about this. Surely in his first news conference, he would be uh, knowing that this impeachment inquiry uh, could turn into a real full blown impeachment trial. We don't know about that. But last evening, I don't know if you guys saw this. Speaker Johnson hosted uh, Sean Hannity is apparently the mascot of the House. And and they had like the entire conference on Fox. At one point, Hannity asked all of them how many see this impeachment proceeding moving forward and would support that. Almost every hand went up, if not every hand. Johnson spoke to that today with reporters. Here he is. What you're seeing right now is a deliberate constitutional process that was envisioned by the founders, the framers of the Constitution. This is how they envisioned this to go, not the way the Democrats did it, snap impeachments, sham impeachments, and all the rest. So I, I, know, that, um, I know that people are, are anxious about it, but I will say uh, Chairman Comer, Chairman Jordan and Judiciary, uh, Chairman Smith in Ways and Means, they've done an extraordinary job, very methodically, and I, I would say outside the scope of politics. That's not exactly what we heard after the one hearing uh, that was held by the Oversight Committee. Rick, do you think that this impeachment inquiry actually turns into an impeachment? Yeah, I mean, it it, it has the potential to do that. I mean, it, you know, just to correct the speaker, maybe he wasn't in the chamber at the time, but it was a snap impeachment decision by then Speaker McCarthy, who said he would never do it. 
and it would open it up mm -hmm. to the floor for a vote. And he didn't do that. So um, there is a bit of a history here that that needs to be pointed out. Um, <clears throat> not much different than, frankly, what Nancy Pelosi did. So, uh, you know, that's a little bit of baggage to carry into this process. No question that it was all put on the back burner, you know, when Jim Jordan uh, launched his career to be uh, Speaker of the House. And maybe if he had become Speaker, it would have all gone away because I'm not sure who the uh, hmm. chairman of the Judiciary Committee would have been then. But um, look, they've got an enormous amount of work to be done. And I think Speaker Johnson is owing to the political realities of his caucus as sown by the, you know, everybody sure. raising their hand uh, with Hannity yeah. asking the question. The The reality is they just don't have time to do it between now and the end of the year uh, unless they decide that they're just going to bail on everything else they're doing. And frankly, they don't have that option either. So um, wow. uh, I, I would be I would be amazed if they're able to get anything done before the end of this session. I wish I had more time on this, Jeannie. But what does a Speaker Johnson mean for an impeachment against Joe Biden? You know, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I do think they could potentially have the votes to impeach. I think the sad reality is, is impeachment, which was seldom used, as we know, throughout American history on both sides of the aisle, has now become a tool, um, you know, and they are using it to attack each other. And that is shameful. And it's not the way it should be. I, I oppose the first impeachment of Trump. And unless they have evidence against Joe Biden, if they do, I would support it, but they got to bring it forward. But vote wise, they might have the votes to do this. And I think Republicans would rue the day because it's not going to go very far in the Senate, but waste an awful lot of time. We turn our attention to the coach coming up next. It was a late night and probably not a very fun one for Tommy Tuberville. It was less fun for his Republican colleagues on the Senate floor. They've had it. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. With breaking news from the Senate today... 95 to 1, the vote to confirm Admiral Lisa Franchetti to be the next chief of naval operations, the first woman to be a U.S. military service chief. It actually happened today amid a temporary break from the Tommy Tuberville blockade. And this is what had Republicans in a lather last night on the Senate floor. Imagine this went on for five hours. They decided at last to dare Tommy Tuberville to do what he said he would actually allow and let these promotions come to the floor one by one. It just didn't work out that way. Listen to Maggie Hassan presiding over the Senate with an objection from the senator from Alabama, remembering he's blocking these promotions in protest of the Pentagon's abortion travel policy. Let's go to the Senate. Floor. Is there objection? Madam President. The senator from Alabama. Object. Objection is heard. <clears throat> Madam Dan President. Sullivan now from Senator Alaska, from Alaska. Republican. Thank you, Madam President. And just for people who are watching that last uh, nominee, Fifth Fleet Commander. So you may have heard there's two carrier strike groups in the Middle East. That's the naval officer who would be in charge of all of it. Right there. Hmm. We could have put him in charge. Pretty important to have Fifth Fleet Commander ready to go and uh, just objected to. I'm not sure why. Again, we're, we're bringing these up one by one. 
which is what I thought my colleague from Alabama said he was good to go with. It's what we did think. Senator Joni Ernst, same, looking right at Tommy Tuberville. It is really unfortunate that tonight these men and women have been denied their promotions. We have done the best that we can to honor the request of a fellow senator that these nominations be brought to the floor and voted on individually. And I really respect men of their word. I do not respect men who do not honor their word. Wow. Let's reassemble the panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Rick, Lindsey Graham says, I've been trying to work with you. He's speaking directly to Tommy Tuberville, sitting in the chamber. I've been trying to work with you for months on this. But you're actually impacting readiness. And some of these uh, promotions that are stalled will actually lead service members to leave the military. uh, Because at a certain point, if they're not served, that'll be the option. Was this a breakthrough last night? We actually saw someone confirm today. What happens next? Well, <clears throat> I think that uh, Comrade Tuberville, China's favorite senator, um, you know, is finally starting to, quote, feel the heat. Um, he he said last week that he's going to continue to block these nominations because he doesn't feel the heat. And I and I think yeah. that was a good message to the Senate saying, unless you turn up the gas, this the, the temperature in the Senate's not going to be enough to get me to cave. He did go back on his word. He has been telling people as part of his sort of spin that if you want to take them up one by one, I'm happy to do it. And they did that and he Mm -hmm. didn't do it. Uh, I would remind him, too, that these are all people that you mentioned, uh, Sullivan, uh, Joni Ernst, uh, Lindsey Graham, who throughout their career in the Senate have also served in the reserve forces of our military, Mm -hmm. people who have actually given time out of their Senate career to support the military and they would have better understanding of the need and readiness of the military, these confirmations, than anybody else standing in the well of the Senate that night. And they vociferously argued against uh, Comrade Tuberville. So uh, didn't seem to be any break. If it was going to cave, uh, uh, Comrade Tuberville would have caved uh, last night. But uh, I think that yeah. uh, Republicans in the Senate are going to have to find other means to do this. And, and the, the practicality of doing it by one by one, like they did with the new chief of naval operations last night, um, just isn't practical at a time when we have to pass important legislation to support our allies around the world and fund our government. Well, one snuck through, Jeannie. Democrats want to bring them in one big block to the floor. Is that the way this ends? Because they need Republican help to do that. They do. And when we got this proposal out by Reed and and Cinema, and and it makes sense that they would essentially be able to vote them on Blanc. I mean, to Rick's point, it is just not feasible that now at, I believe, over 300 of these promotions that have been just languishing now for nine months, that you could go through this one at a time. I mean, it is a Good sign that that this vote happened today and they were able to get one person through. But you imagine repeating that. And if you try to go the way they did last night, Tupperville is going to stand up and he is going to object. Um, You know, I think one of the most stunning things he said last night was this, uh, you know, fiasco that he's created has not impacted military readiness. 
And the reality from everybody in the military is quite the contrary. And, you know, you look at one of the things that seemed to spark the Republican group from Collins to Joni Ernst and Mitt Romney and Todd Young and, and all the others to join and, and really do something you see more in the House than you do in the Senate, which is to this sort of intra-party, uh, you know, a Republican on Republican attack was because of what happened to this Marine commandant who, because the promotions have been stalled, was working two jobs and suffered a heart attack. And, you know, this is just happened recently. It's been widely discussed and it's widely used as an example of this is one case of many of what this holding up of these promotions are doing. And of course, the reality is, and I think it was Lindsey Graham who said this, but but the, the argument they were making yesterday was, you are holding up the careers and lives of people who had nothing to do with this policy. All the people standing yeah. there last night are opposed to abortion, but this is not the way to do it. And you're doing it at a time when we have chaos around the world. We have troops now spread out all over the world. They are needed and you can't continue without people receiving their proper promotion. So it's well beyond time that, that Coach Tupperville is stopped in this one-man crusade. Boy, yeah, Jeannie referring to General Eric Smith and parent cardiac arrest on Sunday. Does that light a fire here, Rick? We're, we're out of time, but does this create a new sense of urgency? Uh, for sure. Uh, I think all of these things are uh, bringing to bear a emergency that exists within the Department of Defense that needs to be alleviated. Everyone's got a plan until something like this happens. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Welcome to Hour 2 of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, joined now by Kaylee Lines. Just hours away from a vote on the House floor on Israel funding. We're going to talk about this right now. Kaylee, welcome back to the conversation. Uh, with the gentlewoman from Florida, we go to Capitol Hill now to have a conversation with Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz. It's great to see you, Congresswoman, as we get the view from Democrats here and your new Speaker of the House and what's about to happen. I know this is not what you were looking for. Chuck Schumer says it's not going to fly in the Senate. Joe Biden says he's going to veto it. Will you vote for standalone Israel funding today? You know, I am gravely concerned that Speaker Johnson has decided for the first time ever, even though I'm sure that he's sat, sat across uh, his, his desk from pro-Israel supporters in his community and committed to them that he would never vote to condition aid to Israel. And yet that's exactly what he's putting on the floor today. It's unprecedented and dangerous. He is actually putting a, quote, pay for on, on uh, the bill that, that doesn't actually yeah. pay for anything. It blows up the deficit and jeopardizes Israel and the future of Israel's security. 
But be that as it may, Congresswoman, it still would provide funding for Israel at what is a moment of need. So is that a no? You wouldn't vote for this? I believe it's essential that we put on the floor the president's entire emergency supplemental security package, which ensures that we fully fund Israel's needs in the worst crisis that, that uh, any Jews have faced since the Holocaust, that we make sure that we're standing strongly in support of Ukraine and not allowing either terrorists like Hamas or tyrants like Putin to win. And, uh, and certainly to make sure that we keep China at bay by providing security to Taiwan. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we've got to also think about the disasters that have occurred across the country, whether it's hurricanes in Florida or wildfires in, uh, in Hawaii and California. So we have a lot more to do, and it's short-sighted to just put this bill on the floor with, uh, with, with a deficit-busting provision that is jeopardizing Israel's security. So I support strongly making sure that Israel has what it needs to defend itself. And uh, I, I'm sure mm -hmm. I'm going to have an opportunity to vote for that at some point. So it sounds like a no on this one today. You might have heard earlier from Tom Cole. He says the Senate bill, the one that you're describing, and we've talked a lot about it here on the program uh, with regard to Ukraine, Taiwan, and border security, Congresswoman. He says that bill won't pass the House. So what's the pathway here to get all this done? That bill will pass the House if it comes to the floor of the House. The only way it doesn't pass the House, because there is a, a majority of the House of Representatives that supports funding for Ukraine, is if Speaker Johnson makes a decision to put a bill that has the entire package from the president, fights Putin and Hamas, and keeps China at bay, and takes care of the natural disasters that dozens of our communities across the country desperately need relief from, puts it on the floor and allows a majority of the House of Representatives to say that they support it. Then it'll go to President mm -hmm. Biden's desk and he'll sign it into law. That's how we can do that. That's how the democratic process works. And we are just hearing from the White House National Security Spokesperson, uh, Admiral Kirby, again reiterating that Biden would veto uh, a bill that only funds Israel. It just becomes a question, though, Congresswoman, of expediency. There has been a lot of hiccups in the House in recent weeks, partially because there was no speaker. There is now, and he clearly wants to do this in a single bill. So is there a point at which it just becomes too urgent to get this funding to Israel, as that is a live, hot conflict ongoing right now where you, things would change for you? This is very simple. Even if Speaker Johnson wanted to do it as a single bill, why is he conditioning aid? Why is he adding... IRS cuts. I mean, that's like having a restaurant. Okay, so Congresswoman, if cooks. I could just clarify, that's not your clean. issue primarily is the pay for, not taking these as single subjects. If it was a single subject no, I don't funding think, for I Israel don't think it bill. Be a single, I don't think it should be a okay. single subject. I think the whole package should come, but I, it, it certainly makes it deeply problematic to put it on the floor when he has a, a pay for that blows up the deficit, that sets an, a dangerous precedent, and, uh, and that is grossly irresponsible. Congressman uh, Pete Aguilar a, said earlier today, just, Congresswoman. Just put it on the floor. Sure. Ahead, Pete Aguilar said that, that the new speaker is a total disaster. Are Democrats going to give him a chance, or is this is already not working, Congresswoman, based on what you're hearing from Mike Johnson? I mean, he certainly doesn't, hasn't started out uh, with a, a responsible step foot forward. We could have had a 400 plus member vote in support of. 
aid to Israel in her hour of need, and instead he's playing political games and using Israel as a, as a political wedge. Not a very good telegraph mm -hmm. of things to come. We'll see what happens, but we've got a looming government shutdown. Uh, let's hope to, that we can come together and ensure that we don't plunge our economy into disaster by doing something like that. So, Congresswoman, aside from the question of providing funding for Israel, there also are just questions surrounding the conflict Israel is currently engaged in. There is reporting today that Secretary of State Antony Blinken, when he makes a trip uh, there tomorrow, is going to be pushing the Israeli government to essentially make a series uh, of pauses in their strikes to allow humanitarian aid in and to allow, allow hostages uh, to get out. Do you think at that point, at this point, that is an appropriate strategy? Should Israel be taking any pauses here? Israel is a sovereign nation, and they need, to, they need to be able to make sure that they can defend themselves and make their own decisions about how best to do that. The goal here must be to eradicate Hamas. You have only to look at the video that the Hamas spokesperson uh, did with an a, a news interview in which he said, the Hamas attacks from 10-7 were the first time, but there will be a second and a third and a thousandth time because they will go after Israelis and try to eradicate Israel and kill Jews until we're all dead and until Israel is gone. So this is not something that we just you know, shrug our shoulders and it's one and done. Uh, they, they are telling us what they're going to do and Israel has to be able to eradicate Hamas. And certainly we need to make sure we protect innocent Palestinian lives. We need to free Gaza from Hamas, and we need to make sure that we can get humanitarian aid in there as long as it's not going to strengthen Hamas instead of, instead of weaken it. There have been some questions about uh, some of the rhetoric that we have heard uh, about the Israelis from some progressive Democrats, including Rashida Tlaib, and I know that the House chose to reject an effort to censure her. Uh, I wonder your thoughts on that vote, Congresswoman, where you came down on it and how concerned you are about what appears to be a, an alarming level of anti-Semitism growing in this country. The alarming level of anti-Semitism is something that is causing Jews across this country to clutch our hearts in fear. We have, and I have two Jewish college students uh, you know, at a, on a college campus myself. Uh, I have a son and a daughter in college, and it, it, is, it is so frightening to see the videos that you have Jewish students attending college who are being surrounded by, by uh, pro-Palestinian protesters who are shouting from the river to the sea, which essentially means that Israel should be eradicated. The dangerous anti-Semitism that is spread and propagated online through TikTok and the algorithms of the social media companies has to be stopped. And Thankfully, we have a president who put forth a national strategy to combat anti-Semitism, but we need all of our colleagues to dial down the rhetoric and not fan the flames to make things worse. We have to come together and really sit down and demonstrate that we're all for peace, that we all want to make sure that we condemn terrorism and that we fight either terrorism and the tyrant in, in, in Russia and ensure that we can promote democracy here and around the world. That should be all of our priorities. Well, Congresswoman, as you do try to prioritize those issues in Congress, there are also a number of maybe distractions, if you will, that your body has been dealing with, including last night, dealing with the expulsion resolution for Republican Congressman George Santos. Do you have any idea why 31 of your colleagues decided against voting for that? You know, 
I did speak to a number of my colleagues, and there were some that were concerned uh, about the precedent it would set to ex vote to expel a member who had not actually been convicted. Um, the majority of us did vote to expel him, but it takes two-thirds. And, you know, I can understand the intellectual argument. Uh, I, I voted to expel him. I voted to expel him because I felt that he was elected on entirely false pretenses. He, uh, his voters were forced to basically vote for a fabrication, not for who George Santos really is, which is clearly a fraud and a cheat and, uh, and, um, and a criminal. Um, so I had some colleagues on both sides of the aisle that I think felt that expulsion was only warranted, like the two other times that it has been done in history, when someone is convicted. Congresswoman, it's good to see you. I know you have to run for votes, you, uh, so we'll let you do Thank that now. You. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Democrat from Florida, with us here on Bloomberg. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington alongside Kaylee Lines. And so there's uh, there's a no yeah. on this bill today that, that may not be able to pass the House, never mind go anywhere beyond the House. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.